Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everyone. So... A couple of things I want to start off with first. This is simply a not, I'm not starting this series today, starting this next Sunday, but I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a preview. Everybody knows someone that no matter what happens, they're a victim, right? And a lot of times you find that person when you look in the mirror, right? Look, the truth is every one of us at some point can find ourselves where circumstances are constantly happening and we allow ourselves to become a victim of the circumstances, We're going to begin a study next Sunday in the book of Judges. And uh, so I think it's something that uh, will will be great for all of us. And uh, so I hope that you'll join us next Sunday. A couple of things before I get started. Um, Danny mentioned it briefly and uh, feel like, you know, maybe we should have a, a quick tutorial on how to sit in theater seats. You see, in the seats that we used to have, when someone wanted to come in your row, you just kind of had to turn. But but watch how this happens. If you'll stand up, that seat below you raises up. And you can scoot back, and it creates all this space for them to walk by. And you don't have to have their backside in your face or anything like that. So uh, it's amazing how that works. And also, um, we we don't want to be total fuddy duds but um we're asking if you bring a drink in to not bring one without a lid and so if you bring a coffee cup there are lids there um in the uh cafe area so you can get a lid and put on that and uh, we would appreciate that very very much and finally another thing that uh were, were you here last sunday most of you here last sunday if you were here last sunday especially in second service you had sweat rings because it was hot last Sunday. Um, one of the things that uh, happens in any building is if you stand with the outside doors open, all the hot air comes in and all the air conditioning goes out. And uh, so I have asked our door greeters to not stand with the doors open. Uh, and so if you come to church and you've been coming to this church forever and today they didn't open the door for you, it's not against you. Don't, don't get offended. Uh, they're trying to help you stay comfortable inside the building so we can keep the air conditioning in. So, uh, I just want to let you know about that. Titus chapter two, if you have a Bible this morning, turn to Titus chapter two. A tragedy occurred this week in the church world. A young man by the name of Andrew Stokeline, and I may not be pronouncing his name exactly right. He's a 30-year-old pastor of a healthy, vibrant, growing church in Chino, California. You may have seen this on social media. 30 years old, took his own life last Saturday. Leaving behind a wife and three young sons and a hurting church. Uh, This pastor had been struggling with depression and anxiety for a period of time. He'd been very open about it with his church, and so they were helping, uh, trying to get him the help that he needed. And 
So they, they gave him a four-month sabbatical, a time away, so that he could go and rest and be removed from the pressures of ministry um, and also to get uh, psychiatric help. So after that four months was over, he and his wife, they were posting on social media that they were excited to be back with their church family. He couldn't wait to get back in the pulpit and, and to begin again preaching to his church family. And uh, so he, he preached that first Sunday back, and he preached the second Sunday back, and that next Saturday he took his own life. Now, I, I obviously don't know, you know any of the details of this story, what I read, and, and I, I tried to read as much as I could about it this week, is that he tried to take his life on Friday at the church and failed, and as a result of that, then succeeded on Saturday. This tragedy has sparked a lot of conversation nationally about the mental health of and the pressures of ministry for America's pastors. And so I'd like to actually take today, I just feel like this is a, a good day in a one-service day. And we had just finished a series, the beginning of a series next week, and so just a standalone message to kind of address this. I've never talked about this subject from the pulpit before in the 15 years that I've been your pastor, mostly because I feared that you might think that I was trying to get you to feel sorry for, for your church pastors. And that's not the case at all. Um, and that's actually not what today's message is about. Although I will talk about some of the pressures that pastors face, today's message is really not about us nor for us. It really is about you, the congregation, and for you. According to a 2016 study by the Schaefer Institute, which is an institute that studies things in the religious world, 58% of pastors say they have no true friends. Now, a true friend would be defined as someone who they knew that they could count on no matter what happened or no matter what they did. I think every one of you knows the value of having at least one true friend. Um... And yet, nearly six out of ten pastors say they don't, they don't have that. Um, I think there's a, there's a very obvious reason that maybe you don't, it's never dawned on you. Uh, but I think the reason that most pastors don't have that is because they've been burned by people in the past that they thought were their true friends. Um, you know, in just, in just, this last 15 years that I've been your pastor, people that have been, that I would have considered my best friends, no, that were part of our church, don't come to our church anymore, and they would say that they don't come because of me. And the reality is, is it's because I wouldn't do something the way that they wanted me to do it. And so, most pastors feel like they don't have any true friends. 52% of pastors in America feel like failures because they know they can't meet the church's expectations in today's culture. Well, you say, well, what expectations specifically? Well, okay, I guess I could give a long laundry list of them, but I happen to be reading this week a pastor by the name of Greg Surratt, who pastors Seacoast Church in Charleston, South Carolina. He, he made this comment. He said, in this generation, pastors are expected to be business savvy, Instagram quotable preaching celebrities, fully accessible, deeply spiritual, not too young, not too old. And if a pastor doesn't measure up to one person's expectations at any given moment, they're given a two out of a five-star rating on Google or Facebook. 
And when a, a pastor doesn't meet someone's expectations, whether it's an individual or a smaller group or the church as a whole, and, and they feel like they're doing what God's called them to do, how else is there to feel but you feel like a failure? 34% of pastors battle discouragement and 35% battle depression. I'm not qualified to address the mental health aspect of depression and anxiety, and so I'm going to stay in my lane today. I'm just going to share with you a few thoughts about the pressure that is involved for your pastors. Maybe you don't attend this church. Maybe you're here on the, on the weekend visiting family. And, and, and this applies for your pastors as well. Um, the truth is every vocation, no matter what you do, every vocation, every job, every career comes with pressure. It may be schedule pressures. It may be staffing or workforce pressures. It could be financial pressures. It could be productivity pressures. Many of you, you have pressure-packed jobs. I'm not here this morning to say that ours is any more pressure-packed than yours. I don't necessarily think that it is. But what I hope that you will understand this morning is that the, the, the vocation, the career of a pastor, just because it's a not-for-profit business doesn't mean that it's not for pressure as well. Pastors face real pressure, and that pressure can affect our ability to function well in our jobs, in our churches, and in our families. And what that means is it can affect our ability to serve you and to serve God as well. I asked you to turn to Titus chapter 2, and this is where I want us to, to begin this morning. In Titus chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes to Titus, Titus was a pastor. He was a pastor in the city of Crete, and, and Paul gives him some instructions, some Maybe we might look at it this way. He gives Titus some job description things. Some things, he's, he's, he's like saying this, Hey, Titus, here's some things that you're supposed to do. Here's who you're supposed to do it to or with, and, and here's how you're supposed to do it. So in, in Titus chapter 2, look at verse 15. Paul basically wraps it up, because that's the last verse of the chapter. He says, You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. So it's the things that are preceding in this chapter that he is supposed to teach. So here's what a pastor is to teach. First, a pastor is to teach salvation. We get that, right? Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing what? Salvation to all people. So the first thing that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to teach salvation, that we are sinners, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We're to help people understand forgiveness because if someone dies without knowing Christ as their Savior, they spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. The most compassionate and loving thing we can do is to teach salvation. That's not all. We're to teach repentance. Verse 12, we're inst instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. So salvation, we've got to also teach repentance. Then we're supposed to also teach future things. Verse 13, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. So we're to, we're to talk about future things. We just finished all summer on end time prophecy. So we've got to teach salvation. We've got to teach repentance. We've got to teach future things. But we also have to teach past things, specifically the cross. Verse 14, he, Jesus, gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. So, so we're to do all, these are the things that we are to teach. Yes, that we're to teach all the scripture, the whole counsel of God. But, but he's, he's, 
Paul is pointing out the, the main priorities for this pastor. Here's what you are to teach. But Paul doesn't just tell him what to teach. He also tells him who to teach. He says this, okay, you've got to teach the older men. Look at verse 2. Teach the older men, and then he tells him, him some things there. So teach the older men. He also says that, that he is to teach older women. Verse 3, similarly, teach the older women. Then he goes on to say that part of your responsibility as, as you teach the older women is that they will teach the younger women. That's what we see in verse 4 and 5. And then in, in verse 6, he says, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. So the job of the pastor... The basic job description is you got to preach salvation and repentance and future things and past things. And then you got to make sure that you teach it to the older men, the older women, the younger men, and the younger women. So not only does he tell him what to teach and who to teach, he also tells him how it ought to be done. Look at the last part of verse 10. It says this, Make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. So... The pastor is to teach those things, teach the older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and he's got to make it attractive to all of them. Somebody's going to have to teach Jay how to turn this volume off on his Bible app. Karen, what, oh, was that Brenda's? Someone teach Brenda how to do that. Hey, Brenda... Look, we appreciate that it was the Bible app and not Jay-Z and Beyonce. <laughs> Jay, Jay was going to take one for the team and everybody pointed out Brenda. So. So, so, so think about this for a second. Think about what, what Paul tells Titus. Here's what you got to do. You got to teach salvation, repentance, future things, past things. You got to teach it. To the old men, the old women, the young men, the young women. And you've got to make it attractive to all of them. Holy smokes. What, what, kind, of, what kind of pressure is that? Well, that's not, that's not the end of it. To top it all off, verse 8 says, Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Let me just paraphrase what he's saying. And you've got to do all of that in the face of criticism. That's a lot of pressure. But there's something in this passage that is super, super important. And it's really what I want you to latch on to this morning. I'm going to, I hope that you'll... I'm, I'm talking about the, the pressures uh, that are that your pastors face, but I'm gonna I'm gonna now just kind of shelve that thought, and I want to share with you five things this morning uh, that that kind of that kind of are gonna put all of this together. And so there, there's something in this passage. The first one is what I really want you to latch onto, and it's this: the church, when it can function to its highest potential, when the church is at its best, it consists of both old people and young people. That may, have, that may have never dawned on you how important it is for a church to consist of old people and young people and that that is when the church can function at its best. I'm convinced. I've talked, I've, I've talked to a lot of pastors. I know a lot of pastors. I read a lot of things that pastors write. I'm convinced that some churches would rather have either 
all old people or all young people. Why? Well, I don't mind telling you, it would be way easier. (laughs) It would be way easier if all I had to do as a pastor would be to just target one age group instead of trying to, 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 to be able to somehow keep from being irrelevant to everybody all at the same time. It would be easier to connect with the crowd musically. It would be easier to accommodate with things such as schedules. I mean, think about this just for a second. If church was only for people 60 and older, we could have a service at 7 a.m. They've already been up two and a half hours. Look, for our 60 and older crowd, that first service at 930, they've done everything they can do today. Waiting for church to start. But if we have service at 7 o'clock, we're not going to get any young moms at that hour, are we? No. You, you know, I mean, if you've been here long, you know I love to interject humor into my messages. Do you know how hard it is to have humor that engages every age group? I mean, it's nearly impossible. It would be way easier if church was either full of older people or full of younger people. But here is why the church functions at its highest potential when it has both. Younger Christians need to be able to look around their church and see older Christians who have been faithful to Christ and faithful to the church for decades, who have faced life's obstacles and challenges and decided that no matter what they faced, living for Jesus matters most. Young Christians need to see people like that every week. People that model to them that Christ and the church really do matter and really do make a difference. And that church isn't just a phase or or something to do while the children are small so that they'll hopefully learn some moral lessons and to be decent citizens. And older Christians need to be able to look around their church and see younger Christians who are even now in the culture that we live in, in the anti-church climate, committing their lives to follow Jesus and live that out in the context of the church. This gives the older Christians hope that... Listen to me, younger Christians. This gives the older Christians hope that their faithfulness and their example, and yes, even their financial commitment over the years, is going to be picked up by the next generation. It gives them peace that their efforts and their commitment to see people saved will continue through the commitment of the younger generation. But there's one major thing that stands in the way. And that's the second point I want you to see. The one major hurdle that can stand in the way is the problem of me. Now, not talking about just me. You read the sentence. And that's the proper context. It's all of us as individuals. It's our collective me is the problem. You see, the problem of me is when Christians, regardless of age, begin to expect the church to be done the way that me or the way that me and my little group of people who think just like me wants church to be done. This is a it's a big problem in the church today. But you know what? This isn't new. This was a problem even in 
Jesus day with Jesus' disciples. In Mark chapter 9, verse 38, these verses will be on the screen behind me. Jesus is with the disciples, and John said to Jesus, verse 38, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Listen, John's a disciple of Jesus. John is known as the one that Jesus loved. Anytime you see Jesus away with only just a few disciples, John is one of those disciples. John's in the inner circle, if you will. John loves Jesus. John wants the ministry of Jesus to get to people. John thinks he's doing a good thing. But this other person that's also doing Jesus things isn't in his group. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's suspicious of them. Because he doesn't understand them. Now, I know no one here can identify with that. None of us have ever been suspicious of other Christians that we didn't know and that we didn't understand, right? The disciples were thinking just like some Christians today think. They were suspicious of people who were different. So, so let, me, let me draw some lines here for a second. Hey, older Christians, let me talk to you just for a second. Go ahead and admit it. You found yourselves at times being suspicious of the younger Christians in your church, haven't you? Maybe, maybe you thought something like this. They probably don't really love Jesus or the church. They just come for donuts and coffee and flashing lights. Or, or maybe you thought this. that The church won't be able to count on them. They don't even bring their Bibles to church. They, they, they look at it on their phone. They act like they're reading the Bible on their phone, but really they're probably on Snapface or Tweetergram or they're playing that new game called Pong. It's very easy for older Christians to get suspicious of the younger Christians because they don't understand them. And here, here's the thing. Did you know you don't have... To you don't have to be old to be cranky. You just have to be cranky to be cranky. But when you get old, you use it as an excuse. Right? But go ahead and laugh, younger Christians, because you do it too. You're just as suspicious. You've probably thought things like this. How can anyone seriously want to sing songs only written by Bill Gaither? How does that edify anybody? Or maybe you've thought this. Do those old people even like our church? They rarely smile, never sing. And we give them songs that sing the same chorus 20 times in a row. They should know the words. <laughs> Obviously, I'm exaggerating a little to make a point. But it's true that churches can have groups in them that focus on the me. And churches can be filled with individuals that only focus on the me, on what they want and how they think things should be done. And a lot of times, these groups go along age lines. The disciples felt like they were the only ones who could do things the right way, so much so that they took it upon themselves to try and stop them. But but let's read on. So, so um, 
in verse 38, we, we told him to stop, John says, because he wasn't in our group. Verse 39, don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. John looked at people who were doing something in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake and to serve and help people. John didn't get it because they weren't in his group. He didn't understand it, so he told them to stop. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't you stop someone that's doing the right things in my name. Because if they're for us, they cannot be against us. And here is where often your pastor's face a real pressure we often find ourselves standing in the middle of two or more groups who think that the way they want church is the right way and the way that the other group wants church is the wrong way and interestingly enough my experience has been that the older Christians think I cater way too much to the younger Christians. And the younger Christians think I cater way, way too much to the older Christians. The older Christians think that we, we do too much stuff that pleases the younger Christians. And the younger Christians think we don't do near enough stuff to please the younger Christians because we're afraid of the older Christians. Now here's where I want you to, where I need you to understand me as your lead pastor. This isn't about which me, which group that I, as your lead pastor, which group I'm going to cater to. Because I'm not going to cater to any of you. This isn't about you. Church doesn't exist to please you. It, we, we exist, we, we come together as a church to worship to please him, not to please us. So there's never going to be a time where I'm going to cater to any of you. You may feel like it if I do something that you like, but that's not what's going on. Our goal as individual believers should never be for church to please the me, but to please and glorify God. That brings me to the third thing this morning. In order for God to be glorified in the church, every age group has to be committed to making it a church of we Instead of a church of me. You know, certain restaurants have a secret sauce. Or something like that, right? As far back as I can remember, I mean, the first one that I ever remember being like that was Kentucky Fried Chicken. Because they have 11 herbs and spices. And, and burger joints have a secret sauce. Which, of course, to me, just always seems like Thousand Island dressing. I don't know. It's just what I think. But they call it their secret sauce. And, and, and there are... You know, Mexican restaurants, they have a secret, some secret ingredients for their salsa or, or barbecue places have some secret things for their barbecue sauce. But, but here's the thing. Great churches have a secret sauce, too. And it's the same sauce in every healthy, vibrant church. You want to know what it is? The secret sauce for vibrant churches that see lives change and make a difference in the world over the long haul is... They are filled with old and young who are committed to seeing God glorified 
by focusing on the we instead of focusing on the me. They're full of older people. These churches are full of older people who love God and who model continuing love and commitment to the church and are willing to pull the next generation into a lifelong relationship with Christ and the church. And it's vibrant and healthy because it's full of younger people who serve others and who respect the older people for their commitment and their contribution over the years. In order for God to be glorified in the church, it has to be a church of we instead of a church of me. That's the biblical model. But, number four, in order for this to happen, it requires humility on the part of all. It requires humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 say this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That word humility literally means to lower. What it's saying is I've got to be willing to take a lower place than others, than than the we. I've got to put the we before me. And, And this is where Jesus' disciples failed when they tried to stop those who weren't in their group. Jesus corrected them, and we've got to learn from that. We've got to be willing, across the age groups, to not be constantly looking out for our interests, for what we want. But we've got to look out for the interests of others. What does that mean? Older Christians, that means that you need to be looking out in in your church family for the interests of your older believers. And older believers, you've got to be Be also in humility, looking out for the interests of your younger Christians as well. Brings me to the fifth thing. Oh, let me say this before I give you the fifth one. Um, It is, I was going to say possible, but I'm going to go ahead and, and go to probable here. It is probable that as I'm having this, making this point, about that we are to all kind of defer to the other. It's probable that some of the older Christians are thinking, yeah, but it seems like we're doing most of the deferring. Can I, I first of all, not disagree with you at all? I I don't disagree at all. But can I tell you why? You're doing most of the deferring? It's called maturity. Maturity. You should have more years of spiritual maturity. And because of that, you are understanding that in order for today's generation to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, church can't be done the way it was done when you came to know Jesus as your Savior. The gospel never changes, but our methods do. And mature believers understand and get that. Yes, 
older Christians do in the church today, in vibrant, healthy churches, do do most of the deferring, that's because you are more spiritually mature. Number five, we can't be like the disciples and focus on our differences. We must be like Jesus and focus on what we have in common. What do we have in common? The name of Jesus. And the power of that name to change lives. Now, now here's where I want to tie all this together. When a church is full of humble people, old and young and in between, who, who value the we over the me, it takes a lot of pressure off of the church's pastors. And what that means then is the pastors are less discouraged, less depressed, feel less like failures. It puts them in a good, healthy place to be able to serve you while they fulfill their calling to serve the Lord. If the older defer to the younger, it takes a ton of pressure off because the pastor doesn't feel like there's this there's this fight. And likewise, if the younger defer to the older, it takes a ton of pressure off of the pastors. So now let me make everybody uncomfortable. If you are now these, I'm just picking random numbers here. Don't be offended. All right. I'm picking some age numbers and some of you are on the borderline. You. If you want to lie, that's up to you. If you are 60 years of age or older, would you stand for a moment? And just just remain standing until I finish my point. If you're 60 years of age or older, would you stand and and just stay there? (laughs) Trust me, the younger are going to get their time too. Younger believers, I want you to look around the room for a second. And I challenge you today, younger Christians, to respect these people for the contributions that they've made for your church. I challenge you to love them. To love them, to appreciate them. And I challenge you to never... Look at them like those in that different group. Now, you guys can be seated. If you're 30 years old or younger, would you stand for a moment? 30 years old or younger, would you stand for just a moment? Some of you ladies are lying. (laughs) Uh, Let let me just let me just say this. Uh, Man, there is a ton. Thousands and thousands of pastors in America that wish they could have this type of percentage of young people in their church. I don't know I'm leaving out the med group, but it all applies to us. (laughs) All right, older believers. Now, y'all keep standing, keep standing. Older believers, challenge you today to be grateful for those who are here taking up the mantle for your church. Challenge you to love them, to appreciate them, 
And never look at them like those in that different group. You guys can be seated. Now let me do this. If you are aged, now hear the whole sentence before I, before I ask you to stand. And this is going to, this may require, you know, some pondering here for a second. If you are 50 or younger and you've either come to know Christ as your Savior in this church or because of someone in this church, or you would say, I already was a Christian, but I've been salvaged. By the ministry of this church. Does that make sense? I want you to stand. You guys can be seated. Here's all of you that just stood up. Let me just say something to you. You owe it. To the older generation. An older generation, your efforts were not in vain. They've made a difference, not just in this community and not just in this church, but it's made a difference in individual lives for eternity. My challenge is for all. Us to just keep doing what we're doing. Let's all be humble. And let's defer to one another. Let's make sure that that we don't follow, quite honestly, the model of a lot of Christians that we rub shoulders with every day. Who complain about their church because it's not being done exactly the way they think it should be done. You know what's going to happen if they get a church full of people just like them? They're going to die. The church is going to die. It's happening over and over and over all across America. The number is something like 4,000 churches in America close their doors every year. Why? Because they die of old age, and a lot of times it's cranky old age. Because people stopped valuing the we over the me. You bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Is your church perfect? No. Does your church staff make a lot of mistakes? Yeah.
job that's complete if you work at, at L3 and maybe you're a program manager or whatever, sooner or later that program gets complete. Did, did you know that your staff pastors, we never get to see anything complete? Never. And because we never get to see things complete, it's very easy. speed. 